Yeah, that's right. We got a long time to go here in this galaxy far, far away. It's Star Wars Podcasting on Post Show Recaps. It's your second round of Phantom Menace because that's exactly what you want, right? More Phantom Menace. And this isn't even the end of it. So much Phantom Menace. This is a Phantom Menu that we are serving up here. Course number two. I'm joined here by two folks who are not thrilled with that Phantom Menu line that I just tested out. It came up. I served it up. Kevin Mahadeo, deeply disappointed. I'm popping a lightsaber. The, the viewers can't see it right now, but if I was nearby, be I'd careful be for you. Semantics, sir. Uh, yeah, please don't <laughs> refer to it as popping a lightsaber. Yeah, phrasing. Are we not? Oh, sorry, are we are we not doing phrasing anymore? I'm I don't just know. fine if we're not. I just wish you would told Wait. me. Don't know how to feel about that. Uh, Latanya Starks here as right. well. Latanya, do you want to like say something to offset what Kevin just did and what I did first? Hi, you have everybody. to have some kind of cool <laughs> phrase to like load down. Yeah, uh, I'll just say the truth, which is that pimpin ain't easy. You know? <laughs> if there's one major takeaway uh, from the Phantom Menace, uh, it's that pimpin ain't easy. I think the, three, uh, the third certainty of life: mm-hmm. yeah. taxes and that pimpin and that pimpin it ain't easy. Ain't well, easy. it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up death and taxes because these are hallmark <laughs> qualities of Literally Star Wars. The entire the Phantom yeah. Menace episode one. So, of course, we've already done our recap. If you have not listened to that yet, you should. It's myself and Rob Sesternino going through the entire movie of the phantom menace about two and a half hours long uh, a, a long way to go through that first long time to go recap and here we're doing uh what i i told kevin and latanya in advance the other week uh when we were recording or before we started recording wandavision because uh, we're recapping wandavision if you didn't know that you now do we record WandaVision podcasts. New episode coming out here real soon. We'll be back on Mondays, every Monday with some WandaVision coverage. Check that out on the Everything is Super podcast feed here on Post Show Recap. So I was telling Kevin and Latina, I was like, all right, here's what I want to do. Duel of debates. Duel of debates. Because you know me and I can't resist. It's there and I see it. It's like the big... Glowing blue Dirk Diggler letters that pops onto the screen for me. Duel of debates. And I'm like, ah, that's what we'll do for the podcast. Uh, and so what we're going to do here today is I've already talked a lot about my takes on The Phantom Menace. Uh, Kevin and Latanya, stalwart co-hosts of The Mandalorian podcast. You're going to be here throughout the long time to go journey. Given your takes on the projects that we're stopping and talking about along the way. And perhaps we shall get into some duel of debates over the course of the podcast as you will present your takes from the movie. We'll talk them through. It may happen, uh, Latanya, that the negotiations will be short. You know, maybe we'll all just agree on everything that we have to say here. I mean, I can't imagine a time when we have not all just agreed on everything. 
Yeah. You know, I, I can't mean, even think of one time. It's never what I assume is going to happen is that if we say something that uh, Josh has disagreed with, he will just uh, funnel in some very visible gas <laughs> into the room yeah. that we'll all be able to see and escape yeah. rather quickly. And rather than wait to see if it takes effect yeah. for a reasonable mm-hmm. amount of time, he'll just be like, I just open the doors. I'm sure they're dead. It's fine. Not unless it's tenant style, in which case. I don't get Who that knows? reference yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. What time? Didn't she just watch Tenet for the first time? How was that? Tenet for the first time. I am one of five people in the United States of America that loves that movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to um, say who has seen that movie. Well, uh, that's true. There's also that. Yeah. Um, like, yes, I think I'm one of five people that enjoy that movie. The other, uh, not even people in the cast, just Christopher Nolan. <laughs> and I think the other people work for the ringer. But other yeah. than that, like, <laughs> nothing. I feel like I, 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 uh, I need to watch it. I think I'm going to end up probably being on your side, Latani, because like Interstellar, I, I actually really like. I know a lot of people didn't like that one. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, yeah. Last night, like not last night, I think a few nights ago, uh, we rewatched Prestige. So Holy good. crap. That might be my, I think that might be All right. So our first tremendous take is that the prestige yeah. is the best Christopher Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First take. Yeah. And we agree. Second take. Yeah. Tenet? Not as bad as everyone <laughs> says. We're getting somewhere. We're doing Let's great see. with the Phantom Menace by talking exactly. about anything besides yeah. the Phantom Menace. Let's well, see so John I get David Washington and the Phantom Menace. So, so I guess like before, so what, so I know that, so, so you've both prepared like three takes about the Phantom mm-hmm. Menace to lead us through the conversation. And, uh, I, I guess before we do that, I, I would like to just like get like sort of like the overarching take, not necessarily even of the movie itself, but if that's where you want to go with it, that's great. But I would be more inclined to like know about like your experience with the movie. For example, Latanya, and I'll, I'll start with you, is that I know that you just watched The Phantom Menace for the first time for this. I did. Yeah, how'd that I, go? I, I did. Um, I mean, I enjoyed some of it, actually. I enjoyed quite a bit of it. I think that there are a lot of meetings in this movie that could have been emails. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I... Yeah, there were things that I enjoyed. I actually enjoyed the pod racing scene, which I know not a lot of people do because, you know, the whole point of it is that if you're a spectator, you can't see most of it. Right. Uh, But I enjoyed the pod racing scene. I thought that was really cool. I love little Jake Lloyd and his performance. I thought it was really cute and endearing. Um, And I am all here for Padme Amidala. Like, yeah, just all in for either, not either version. The Kira Knightley version was a little wooden. And I definitely tell when the, t- I was just like, oh, but the fact that they, you know, digitally lowered Natalie Portman's voice so that she and Kira Knightley would sound more alike. And they really are kind of dead ringers for one another. And then we get that scene at the, like near the end before the big climactic battle where Natalie Portman comes forward and reveals herself to be the actual queen Amidala and then, you know, not only like humbles herself to the people of Naboo, right. Um, to get their assistance, but also very much joins in the fight. It, it was just really cool to see threads of, uh, princess Leia in the, uh, performance that Natalie Portman put forward, even if she was more focused on concentrating for a, uh, concentrating on a graduating Harvard. Yeah, that's right. 
Kevin, how many times have you seen The Phantom Menace? Several. Um, when it when it came out, I think I saw it twice in theaters, um, and I'd definitely seen it at least twice more after that. And so I know I, you're I, a super cool guy, and you're like, Phantom Menace sucks, and I know that's where we're going. You know, I just I know mean, that's where we're going, and that's fine. Hey, it's we, all we right, are, but that's okay. But first... did you know that? Did you feel that right away? No, 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 yeah. not at all. And and you know that's what I was going to say. Like my experience watching the prequels was really weird. You know, it was one of those things because I remember walking out of each of the prequels being really jazzed and really hyped. And I think that happens at times when you're really into uh, something, especially when uh, you're younger. When I saw this, I was a teen. Uh, you know, you walk out with the with the excited feeling. I remember really loving Superman Returns when I first walked out of it, and you know, I went. I've gone up and down on that movie a lot. Um, but I remember we walked out of Phantom Menace. It was me, like one of my best friends, uh, Fernando, and his cousin Louis. I was going to say it's it got to be Fernando, of course. Shout uh, out. We saw that uh, all three of us saw it together, um, and 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 we remember. I remember us walking out and talking about. Uh, the stuff we really loved and like the lightsabers and how cool things were and the music um, and how awesome it was to be in Star Wars world again. Uh, and we went home and we we're just like, we need to watch the original again. And we wa- we started to try to watch A New Hope and we all fell asleep because we were very late at that point. And we were pretty high on the movie. And it's one of those things where after time, it, it definitely takes a turn, and it, it took a, a bit of a quicker turn, I think, with this. You know, once the once the excitement wore off, um, and now uh, as an adult um, and with a more critical eye, it's a, this movie. <laughs> this movie is not good. This movie is not good. I mean, there's there's a lot that's just really bad about it. Um, mm-hmm. and there are, I mean, to what Latanya said, I think there's stuff that I like. I think if we're going to talk about the like stuff, I don't know if this is in any of our takes, but the the, the pod racing, I legit enjoyed watching it this time too. Yeah. Like I remember liking it when I first saw it. I remember people like being like, ooh, pod racing. And then watching it now, I'm like, you know what? The pod racing is kind of fun. The pod racing is kind of cool. Um, so that I was into. Um, but be- beyond that, there's very, there's very little things this movie has going for it. And there's a lot of problems, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, and beyond just the, the Star Wars stuff, I think this movie is bad for what it did to Star Wars, but also just, whoa, just from a, from a, you know my nerd uh writing soapbox level this is this is bad this is not good this is not this is a not well put together film um, yeah. on many levels you know i didn't do like the red letter media deep dive into everything wrong Loved with phantom red menace red letter media by that, the way i watched those things so many times that you know I, I like i i've seen it before i haven't seen it in a long time like i haven't seen like i haven't done like a lot of the watches of like the takedowns of this movie but the they're red legendary letter archive is what it's called what's that the red letter, red letter media. There, it was. I, I don't know. Is red letter media still active, Kevin? Is it something? I'm that not you- sure. I feel like I haven't seen anything of his in a very long time. But yeah. he's a he was a YouTuber who did a really deep dive breakdown analysis. It's very weird. He has very strange parts of it where he pretends to be a serial killer and have people in his basement. But his actual breakdown of the movie is really, really smart, really clever, um, 
and really well done. He also does it for Star Trek. Red Letter also... Media rooting for the Packers as of January 16th. <laughs> so at least a, uh, a, a still active Twitter yeah. channel. He also did start the Star Trek movies, which I really enjoyed oh, cool. uh, watching uh, yeah. his analysis of those. But I mean, this well. was like, this was like, if not like early internet stuff, then it was like, it was like late college, early adult type internet yeah. stuff for me so like i i remembered watching that and that being like my first real exposure of like yeah i know i gotta concede it sucks uh like i can still love a thing you can still love a thing that sucks it's possible you know there's several yeah. family members that you probably still love even though they like objectively suck uh oh, yeah you, you know <laughs> that's a thing oh, my God, uh, yes. and like I kind of feel that way about Phantom Menace still. Um, so like, I'm not going to be upset. I don't think if you're like, this piece of the Phantom Menace is garbage. Cause I'll probably agree until we get to duel the fates, in which case I'll fight you with lightsabers out. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to go through some takes through the movie and we'll go back and forth. Uh, we'll, we'll go Latanya. We'll talk through a Latanya point. We'll go Kevin. We'll talk through a Kevin point. And back and forth and so on and so forth until we've talked through our takes. And then if there's any like, I was going to call them lightning rod takes that we want to do, but there's like a force lightning rod. There it is. <laughs> right? There I'm not go. frozen. I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> my hands were just like kind of like this held one, up in like Palpatine pose. I don't know if you want to screenshot it. My hands are kind of, I can't do it. So. One of you would have to ah forget it. Uh, anyway, screenshot unlimited unlimited power. That's for the future. We're not there yet. Yeah, we're, we're not, not there, there yet. yet. We're getting there. Uh, Latina, why don't you why don't you kick us off? Uh, take number one on the Phantom Menace from one Latanya Starks. Okay, take number one. Anakin is a Mary Sue. Okay. Uh, let's let's. We should probably get like the Mary Sue definition yes, on the board I'm for those who do not know. For that. Yep. So, so according to Jackie Mansky of the Smithsonian Magazine, um, a Mary Sue, uh, which is a character that was originally introduced in 1973 by Smith in the second issue of Menagerie, um, articulated a particular trope that exists far beyond, obviously, like Star Wars or any other universe. Mary Sue's can be found throughout the history of literature, standing on the shoulders of earlier fill-in characters like Pollyanna or uh, the children's books of the 1910, also seen in Manic Pixie Dream Girl. So essentially, a Mary Sue is a character who can, who is great at everything immediately without having done much work in order to accomplish that. And everyone just kind of accepts it and goes along with it, and no one says anything about it. Uh, Ray, for example, in the most recent trilogies, which Strigoi, um, was often referred to as a Mary Sue character uh, because of her kind of innate abilities to do things. This is an eight-year-old child <laughs> who um, yeah. can, uh, competes in uh, pod races that kill people. Yeah. Uh, can put together, like, I had no idea that Anakin as a child built C3PO. I did, I did not know that that was the case. Yeah, it's uh, a regrettable neither, development. Neither did we until we watched this movie and we were like, or was oh, it, okay. was it, is it C3PO? It's not R2, right? It's C3PO. Yeah, it's C3PO. Yeah. Yep. Um, so like, essentially created sentient life. Yeah. In the form of a droid at eight. 
um, can fly a plane, like a, a, not just a plane, like a ship can just pilot a ship with absolutely no issues. And no one ever said anything about it because he's strong with the forest and he's got the largest M count that anyone has ever seen in the history of time. But immediately when a character like Ray could do many of the same things, even though it was established what her training was and how she put together things and she wasn't eight, um, <laughs> she was called a Mary Sue. So in my humble opinion, I think as much as I love Jake Lloyd in this performance, he's a delight. Um, Anakin, the character, is a Mary Sue. So... Um- this is this is really interesting because uh, like so Mary Sue is is a term I'm very familiar with uh, in my in my youth especially uh, because uh, I think a key part of Mary Sueism is for for the history of it is that it actually developed in fan fiction. Um, Mary Sue was the name of a character uh, created by the author that people it was the name of the character in the story and people. Uh, coined it as author self-insertion because this character was, yes, they, it was a Star Trek uh, fan fiction, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And it was Star Trek. It, yeah. Um, and which, ironic, um, but uh, it's it's a person who is not only, like, good at everything, it's also a person that everyone, like, is instantly in love with. And this is a trope in fan fiction especially. People love creating these characters that are the best at everything and the character that they always loved as a fan is going to now love them in the story. I think that was such a key part of what a Mary Sue and by extension, what became a Gary stew uh, for the male version of it um, was like this idea of like the author self-insertion and, and, and specifically from a fan perspective. Um, and now it's become an attack phrase in a way. And yeah. like, I, it's, it's so weird because like, I don't, I don't disagree with the idea that Anakin by its definition is in this movie, in this movie specifically, I guess is a Mary Sue type character. Um, but my guess, my, my big disagreement is that I hate the usage of that term these days because it, the usage of the term has warped into something that it wasn't originally, you know? Right. And like, mm-hmm. I, you can't control how words change and the meaning of words change. So like, that's just my own personal thing. Like how people use that, uh, is how it's being used in the context. So it does apply, but I feel like the usage of when people are just like, oh, this character is a Mary Sue, like Ray's a Mary Sue and, and, and Anakin's a Mary Sue. I'm like. I mean, I guess in the modern context, yeah, but like technically, no, none of them are Mary Sue's. Yes, it's immediately a derogatory term these days, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason that I used it was very pointed because I wanted to be able to refer to a strong male character. (laughs) Or this case, a child. I'm under attack. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As, as, you know, what, um, Ray was hit with so much and other characters have been hit with so much. And in reading the history of the term and learning more about it, uh, it's odd how it is, you know, warped as Kevin was saying, something that is immediately like a a derogatory thing to call a character. And really what we're looking at here is just someone who is written in a way that depicts unrealistically their abilities, and they seem to lack any flaws or weaknesses. So in my humble opinion, this is an attack on the writing and not so much like the character in and of itself. Yeah, and it's so it's interesting, right? Because like, I, I do think I, 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 
do like for Anakin, especially and for Ray, like they get classified as this, and I think it's 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 faulty to to a certainty. And I think you, to your point, Latanya, the attack on these characters for this, especially, let's face it, it it's the sexism, right? Nobody called Anakin uh, a Mary Sue originally. Nobody called Luke a Mary Sue originally. They attacked Ray mm-hmm. because of sexist, you know, ideologies where they literally are all the same. I mean, in this movie, they quote the fact that Anakin is able to pod race and Anakin is able to pilot intuitively. Because of his uh, uh, abilities with the Force, uh, people talk about. Well, how can Ray do that? Guess what? A holes the same effing reason. Yeah. Like that's why. <laughs> like we, we, they have established, she's very attuned with the Force. She she can do yeah. that. So like either you're out can. on that concept or dot, yes, dot, dot. exactly. So I think you know this is this is definitely a a, a point on the fandom. But like it's so wild because to me and like I think there is a problem with Mary Sue characters. Bella from Twilight is a Mary Sue mm. because it's it is by the definition is the an author self insertion and the way that character is written and Kevin and loves and Twilight you and never cease oppor- to opportunity. amaze me. Never, never cease to it. amaze me with like the yeah. movies that you love. This dude loves I mean, Twilight. No I, one loves Twilight the way that Kevin loves it's, Twilight. It's di- my, my, I, I don't like. I don't love. To, I, I love to hate yes, Twilight you do. except Stop for the it. last movie Twilight. which I legit love. He Just loves take it. a stance and go with it, Kevin. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, you're in a safe space. It's just the three like of us. Yeah. yeah, but it's, we're not it's, releasing it's, this podcast, so you're good. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things where it's um, just for the archives. Personal I collection. do, I do think Anakin, I do think Ray, and I do think Luke. They do have faults, right? But like people, people latch onto this weird thing about like uh, because it is attack against Ray. Ray has no faults. I'm like, what movie are you all watching? Like, I think all three of these characters have faults that's the whole point of a lot of their journey is that they have faults yeah. and have yeah, to overcome a lot the the only other thing that i would add to this is like people uh really i think did not care for anakin and i think like that tracks through the whole prequels and yeah. i know that like one of the big strong takes that's coming from like the people who are really deep and versed in clone wars is like clone wars rehabilitates anakin clone wars like he he freaking shows up and like they do the character justice and all of that but like whether it's jake lloyd who you know was uh eviscerated by the fandom um to a, a deeply tragic degree uh or hayden christensen who was loathed uh, I, I do think just like to, to put it out there, just like to talk that part through is like people hate, really did not care for this character. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, is it just cause like this kid's supposed to be Darth Vader? So like that's ne- you're never going to live up to that or what? I don't, I don't really know, but, uh, what are you expecting for yeah. him to be like little emo vampire? I don't think that the there's a win. I don't think that, I don't think there's a, it's, it's hard to win with this, you know, other, other than you give the story, uh, an overhaul, you know, mm. you just do the whole thing different. Uh, maybe is the answer. That could and be I know okay. that'll, I, you know, <laughs> I think that that is it though. Right. Yeah. Like, and I'm not even talking because like, I think the dislike for Anakin doesn't necessarily fully stem, stem from here. I think some of the dislike is, I mean, he's a kid, so it's hard to be like, Oh yeah, this is the big and bad Darth Vader. And it's like, well, yeah, not yet. He's a kid. I think the problems is where you get to, to clone, um, attack clone wars. Yeah, and um, um, Revenge of the Sith, right? Like that's the problem, and that you can attribute to definitely the writing. You could have, they could have fixed this a million and one ways, but 
Um, which I guess leads into, I guess, take number one for me if we want to switch Let's over. Let's do it. That's, yes. That's yeah. exactly how it's supposed um, to go. Because the writing, like, it's not, it, there's so much here that people have talked about, like, George Lucas is a bad director. He's a bad writer. I think he's bad at everything. Like, I think he's... <laughs> is this the take? Is this, this the is take? Is, this like, is the, the take. bold, underlying headline, George Lucas is bad at everything? There's one thing I think George Lucas is good at, and I think it's coming up with ideas. I think he's a very That's good idea nothing. person. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. But the person who comes up with the ideas should also then not direct it, not write it, not edit it. Like there's so much in this movie that I think is laid at the feet, in my opinion, to George Lucas and his inability to do any of that stuff. I mean, the writing the dialogue, the dialogue, the dialogue in this movie is so bad. And this isn't even the worst. We get worse what dialogue about the in dialogue, two and three. Though? The dialogue. Is the dialogue okay? It's, I, I missed it when I was watching. It's yeah. terrible. It's so oh. it's so bad. And that comes into the writing, right? Like you can have an actor who can maybe then take some bad dialogue and deliver the best that they can. You have some actors who are able to do that, who often excel a piece of writing through the acting. But a lot of that is then perpetuated and needed from a good director. And unfortunately, these actors aren't going to get that here because I think he doesn't direct them. Or if he did direct him, what was he telling? Dude, what was he telling these people? Every scene in this movie, every scene and every word of dialogue is people just either sitting rod straight in their seats or walking with their arms in front of them or behind them. Just slowly, slowly walking. I've never seen people walk so slow. And talking and just speaking words without emoting, without having any Anakin. sort of... Anakin. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even... Like, it's not even done in such a way. Like, it's... Remember he, like, your training. He gets better later. Like, certainly Ewan McGregor. But, like, nobody is emoting. Nobody is doing anything. What Everyone about is the negotiations? So still. <laughs> We've lost all communication. bad. The only characters that actually have emotion in their voices most of the time are the cartoon characters and the racist characters. It's uh-huh. wild. And that's because, like, yeah. virtue of... It's yeah. true, though. It's yeah, true. Yeah, and, yeah, Like, it's crazy because, like, to me, the other part just comes into the directing thing. Even if you're not able to tell your actors, like, a walk and talk is fine. Literally, Aaron Sorkin's entire career is walk and talk but he's able to do it because the camera is moving you have dynamic movements when an actor is in a scene to do something with your hands like just do something like it's go crazy to be shooting this and sitting in the director's chair and just be like this looks fine they look they look like humans right you this is what a human is i george lucas might not be human is actually my real take because nobody in this movie i think acts like a human being they're all just monotone and nobody used their hands for anything they don't move at any sort of speed it's wild it is wild how much they just like I, 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 even in the backgrounds, they don't read, like, okay, sorry, I'm, I'm on a full rant here, but. Go for it, Kevin! Two yes. scenes. why we pay you! <laughs> two scenes, I, wait, I'm getting paid? Uh, two scenes to call out. My Not family, a lot, I, but... I noticed that when I had to rewind it. When they're underwater in the Gungan City and they're leaving in the little ship and they're just driving, boop, ba doop, ba doop, uh, the lights go off, the power shuts down, and, and they turn, turn it back on, and the lights pop up, and there's a giant monster outside, just like, rah! And Jar Jar, once again, the cartoon character, just like, blah! 
Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon? Nothing. Nothing. They like something just popped and you could be like, oh well, they're stoic Jedi. And it's just like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. it's crazy that zero reaction. Fish. And like, that, not even, not even that scene. This is later. I yeah, know he it's does not it twice. That scene, but like it, it 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 escalates the frustration yeah. when there's a giant like fish getting your ship, and then another more giant one behind you, and you have the only person or character in the whole movie acting like this is actually scary is Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Yep. And he's not and even really there. No. And that's the thing. I guess because <laughs> when you're when the, the CG people are able to animate it, they'll they'll add their flourishes or whatever. So yeah. you don't have Lucas doing most of that maybe. Um but then you, you also have like beyond that the background characters. Background actors in this, I can't even imagine. Like it's like the stuff was happening in front of them and they're just standing there like Stone face, nothing while stuff is happening. And I can't like, can you imagine them asking like, what, what should we do in the scene? Just stand there. Th- that's it. Yeah. Just, just stand. Okay. Should we react to like the conversation or the, the shooting? No. Nah. Okay. Like that's what this is. It's, it's wild to me. And then that's, so we got the writing, we got bad directing and we come to bad storyteller. He doesn't know how to tell a story. The story is not being told. The story is being just like, just well, the story is quite literally, I guess, just being told to us through exposition and dialogue, through just watching things in a way that isn't dynamic or interesting. He doesn't know how to tell the story. I think he's able to come up with the idea for the story. I think he's able to come up with like the the, the big picture stuff. And like when you have a guy like that, that's great. You need that sometimes. You need the guy who can get the stuff back on the rails. When he does all of it and he's not good at any of it, we end up with the Phantom Menace. And Kevin. Hashtag end rant. Wow. I, yeah, I've got some things to say about that, too. I, George Lucas, what a complicated character. Because, like, um, <laughs> it's true. Because Listen, one, everyone be careful. George, without George Lucas, we don't get Star Wars. And without right. George Lucas, uh, you know, he's a legendary winner of a Survivor Brant Steele done on Rob has a podcast. So we just well, want to tread lightly. Yeah, let's not upset the RHAP patrons. (laughs) I don't think anyone's going to be that upset. Uh, Uh, Famous last words, by the way. Everyone's going to be furious. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, Josh is right. You know, without him, there would be no, you know, wars in the stars. So, there's that. There's also just kind of the... He's a visionary in many ways, but not maybe a... Uh, a writer yes. <laughs> or a director. That's yes. how I like yes. to think of, of George Lucas. But there are some times where he just makes some calls that are baffling. Like if you see any of the footage surrounding the prequels, he's just like, he says, and I believe this is a direct quote, Jar Jar is going to change everything. It's like, ha- I mean, what? I guess he is not wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he certainly changed my emotions and feelings about things. And it's just like, what world were you living in? Even though it wasn't 2021, allegedly, because God knows how long this year has been going on. Um, he he was just like, yes, you know what would be a great idea? A CGI clumsy character that is a stereotype of something racist. <laughs> Let's go. And then he just like put an actor in there. I'm at best to do Ahmed's best. And I think that he gave it his all, but then 
Jar Jar sucks. Like the character is not written well. It's very demeaning and damaging and racist tropes behind it. And he thought that this was going to be a game changing, like people will forever love this character. Yeah. Um, A lot of like the success of the, of the prequel trilogy was like pinned on the idea that Jar Jar was really going to take off. Exactly. I mean, there's the, that was his idea. The, you know? There's this, there's the fan theory that I do kind of love, right? About like Jar Jar was Jar-Jar. secretly going to be the the real Phantom Menace, and like he's <laughs> actually like the whole. If you guys don't know this, you need to go on Reddit and you need to look it up because it's if this was the case, holy. I love do you it. have Do you have any of that uh, front of mind ready to go? So what it was is yeah. basically the revelation that Jar Jar that Jar Jar Binks was just um, putting on this facade uh, uh, as being clumsy because a lot of the movements he made and a lot of things he made obviously played out really well and helped in the long run. But the way he ends up from one scene to the next, the way he's able to jump and move, uh, little things that he does, it's kind of like, huh. Later on, the theory is this would have been revealed that it is he is a Sith and he is the Phantom Menace. He is the dark leader behind a lot of this stuff. And he is yeah. was faking it and using his Force abilities to ingratiate himself into this group of people. Um, and would have been a far, like, essentially a, a contrast to Yoda uh, as the surprise Jedi Master, the surprise Sith Master being this guy. Um, and then the idea is like maybe that turned after people were not pleased with Jar Jar as a character uh, after the first one. If they had committed to that and if it's real and they had done that, oh my God, I think my views yeah. on the prequel would have been real different. Uh, yeah, Darth Jar Jar is a really great theory. I love it so much. And if you look, I've got limited experience again with the Clone Wars and even the prequels. I still have to watch the next two before ahead of these podcasts that we're doing. But if you look in the prequels, there are certain episodes where Jar Jar is like fully distracting people by doing things like juggling plates and saucers and not dropping anything at all. Like complete coordination, hand-eye, everything. So for him to emerge from from this movie and change to that really kind of enforces the maybe this was all a joke and it gets us back to the side of being like Ahmed Best is actually a genius and was playing this character in this way just to subvert all of these expectations later and turn out to be evil. That's kind of cool and getting one up on the man. Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah. It's such a weird character. I, lo- I, I love the Darth Jar Jar idea. Right? It yeah. would have been so cool because like right now this character the also... Lord. Like I would have been so here for it. But he, like right now he doesn't fit in this movie in a very weird way because the movie takes itself so seriously. And they know that, right? Because like in the next two, and I, you know, the, I guess it's like a spoiler for you, Latanya, in terms of like what to expect, but like they okay. dramatically reduce yeah. the amount of Jar Jar to the point that like he is like hardly in Revenge of the Sith. I think uh, he's in a scene. He's, yeah, he's like at a, at a funeral. Maybe <laughs> another scene beyond that. I don't, I don't remember which one is when like, you can suddenly start like you can like put a lot of like the galactic strife on Jar Jar. Th- I think it's the third one. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's so weird because like he like it, it, his his over the top cartoonishness doesn't fit into the world that that we're seeing here. And again, I think it's like does George Lucas not understand human beings? Um, where he's trying to like be like children will like this, adults would like this, and it's just like adults are not going to like any of this, and kids maybe might like that, but why are they in this movie? Like this, nothing else in this movie is they're going to be paying attention to. But it's yeah. so crazy because like 
as I said, like Jar Jar isn't he is one of three very racist characters in this. Like it's one yeah. thing I feel like one is a mistake, three is a problem. Like, <laughs> you know, like yeah, they say three is a trend. I say yeah. about children all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Latanya, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Savage. Uh, which savage. if Robin is listening to this, I'm sorry in terms of your sister, because she has three kids. But um it's it's weird, right? Because like, you, you have the, the the trade federation, which oh boy, like that is that is some that is some racist voice work right there. And then of course you have uh, Watto, who is another Watto. just very racist character, and you're just kind of oh, like, oh, man, just what is what is happening here? Who who? And I guess again, this has to go to the feet of George Lucas because he's the one in charge and giving approval over all of this. So yeah. one has to really wonder: do you, Are you human? Is there a real person in there? Are you from a galaxy long time ago, far, far away, and you're just trying to adapt to human beings now? Anyway, that ends that ends Kevin's (laughs) entire thing here. Yeah, I think he's just too rich. You know, you know how rich people, like old, like mega rich people, they do the weirdest, weirdest things. Yeah, they're just disconnected. Yeah, he's got this creative outlet to to like make all of his dreams come true. His weird weird dream no one no one to say no one to say no yeah you know yeah everybody needs someone to tell them to stop yeah everybody everyone needs an editor you need an editor you need someone who's gonna be like i listen i love where you're where you're coming from but no and here's why uh like everyone needs that because no one is infallible everyone makes mistakes and so like the like the the writer producer director you know triumvirate is a is a dangerous entity uh and we see it, it does it, it it works out you know there are people who can do that there, i think that there are fairly few and far between who can like really yeah. do that yeah it's hard yeah. for us to find one like i'm not you know Sean, when you're talking about like you're talking about problem too you know, Latani, you said something great, like the idea of like the visionary. You're, you're a visionary, but you're not a writer. You're not a director. I mean, like, look, look at Kevin Feige. This dude isn't writing and directing stuff. Ideas. And then like, yeah. um, counting on and investing in and working with professionals who yeah, are execute, writers and directors. Yeah, and bring your vision to life in a way that is coherent and. Because your know, thing's never going to come, come. It's not going to come out the way you want it to. Because you're going to be so effing tired. You know, I think that there's a lot. Like, yeah. I have, I have empathy for George Lucas in the way that, like, I have empathy for. I don't know. Like, there's a there's an element of like burnout that has to be in play. Uh, like, you're trying to do all. You cannot do all of this. Yeah. Someone had to. Someone had to say no. There was no one to say no, yeah. and anyone who yeah. did. Later, <laughs> yeah. this is also no. his first movie. I think he was doing in twenty two years, so it's also coming out of retirement. In retirement, it's also coming out of like not doing anything for twenty two years, coming and then out. being like, "I will do it all." And it's just like George, I don't think you can. I'm rich; I can do anything. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> real Scrooge yeah. McDuck energy just coming. I love out. it. Um, all right, so th- so that's the writing. So that's that's uh that's that's point number one from Kevin. Latanya, let's toss it back to you. Where do you want to take this next? Okay. Now I've been giving this one some thought, so I'm not really sure where we're gonna go. Uh, yeah, where we're gonna go. Well, here. Let's go on an adventure. Okay. Let's go let's let's bring our ship down to Tatooine <laughs> and fi- and we'll figure out how to get the parts. Okay. We may have just, to improvise. I'm trying to figure out how I want to order these because I don't want my third one to be taken by Kevin. 
Mm, oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, wow. I'll leave the I'll leave the third one for last because it's it's the best one. So the, the second one is that the Phantom Menace has the coolest droids in the Star Wars universe. Okay. Um, so interesting. Some some battle droids. Um, the canonical beginning introduction of R two D two and C three PO. Um, we've got Droidica. Those pit droids are pretty cool. I can't lie. I like the little clicky clacky ones that say Roger Roger all the time. Roger Roger. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's and they have like little. Uh, their feet sound like horse hooves. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cool. Like you know, because everything in these star in Star Wars movies sounds great. Like you know, the sound mixing is done well, and the music and orchestration are just like phenomenal, which I know we'll talk about. But I really like the droids in this in this movie. And I'm wondering uh what you all think about that. I so it's complicated because I think separated from Star Wars that we know, the droids and the stuff that are in this movie could have been cool. I think the problem is within the context of the world that we were presented, which takes place in the future from this film doesn't make sense. And I think this is a bigger issue to me with just um, the, the like usage of CGI in, in, in these films and in a lot of films, like this is going to be a weird take overall. And this isn't to this movie, but just all movies, all movies should be like at max 30% CGI. That's it. Um, I think practical effects help keep a movie uh, uh, like relevant for longer. It, it like CG has dates movies really badly. And this is a good example for that. Things just don't look right. And, you know, as human beings, the uncanny Valley exists because we are, we are literally instinctually built to recognize things that are close to real, but not. So we're able to be like, that's not real. Um, and there's something about this film though. When you see it from the droids, you compare the, 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 the Roger Rogers, I think are close. We've compared some of the other vehicles, compare some of the other, the Roly droids and stuff like that. There's something just really off and a little bit too far flung future compared to like your C-3PO's and your R2-D2's um, and some of the other droids we end up seeing. And so like for me, that's where the bump happens. I just feel like this, none of the, none of the stuff in this movie feels lived in. None of the, none of the technology and the CG feels lived in. It all feels too sleek, too new, too like just to shiny, right? Like there's something about the, 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 the original and even the, the, the sequel trilogy that, all the technology feels rugged and rough and lived in and, and, and real. There's something tangible about it. And I think we lose that here. And I think the designs of the droids are cool. I think those droids could have been really cool if it, if we didn't have what we already know exists, I guess is the best way to put it. That's where I bump against. But otherwise, like I do think the droids and stuff could have been really awesome, but I bump against the fact that I'm just like, why, why you look so, why you look so shiny and new? Does someone just take you out of your packaging? Like, you know, yeah, I like the shiny and new quality. I know I agree with you that it the CGI in this movie and the beginning of the CGI and even though I've not seen these movies, I still live in the world and I've listened to Star Wars podcasts because that's I'm I'm me. I do everything backwards. Uh, but the, yes, the CGI in this movie model of the Pusher Recaps Discord. <laughs> yeah, I do everything backwards. Uh, <laughs> Very, very dated almost immediately. And they, they have some characters who are CGI characters like Yoda, 
who just should not ever be CGI. Yeah, and they and they changed that. You know, in the in the theatrical, he's a puppet in Phantom Menace, and then George is like, ah, you know, he we gotta we gotta turn that into a computer. Oh, they changed it. Yes, Mm -hmm. in the in the theatrical in the original release, it's a puppet. It is a puppet, and then you know it's Frank Oz puppetry show. And then, uh, then one of the classic, like, let's go, we get, we have to go backs. Uh, George Lucas turned him into a CGI monster. It's because he wants to turn everything into a robot like himself. Uh, uh, there we go. Uh, um, I like the shiny quality, I think, because I like cars. I like vintage cars. And I love to see them all like, I love some shiny chrome. So it's yeah. it's that I think that I was just like, ooh, look at distraction from this very long. Like I was texting Kevin during this movie and basically being like, when will my perdition end? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So I getting to see something I hadn't seen before in the Star Wars universe that was like shiny and new, I think made me really fall for these droids, even if most of them were murder droids. Yeah. It's really funny you mentioned the length because this movie does feel so long. And I think it's because, like, again, to go into the storytelling element, not I a watched lot this live in the Discord. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, no. Why? Wait, what? Why? And, I'll, and I'm going to do it again for Attack of the Clones. Just, I'm committed to the bit. You're just committed. But if they are people. long to sit through in a single shot right now. How did I do it 10 times as a kid? It's because it, yeah. as a kid, I guess. I don't you're know. You're just shiny. You know? You're so yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're excited just to, like, be able to go to the movies with your friends. So and like, also, like, yeah, a certain extent that, that is, like, time. my friends and I would, like, leave the theater and we'd, like, hang out in the hallway and we would talk and be like, all right, we would probably, like, Duel of the Fates is coming on in a few minutes. Like, there was definitely a lot of that energy happening. We used for to sure. go to yeah. TGI Fridays, which was, like, across the street and then just sit at a booth and talk about the movie and nerd crap for, like, a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah they got those half apps at TGI Fridays. Anyway. That's one of the <laughs> best parts of movie going when you are young uh, yeah, and, when, and, like, old enough at first to do it on your own. It's like, having friends with you and getting to go discuss stuff. So that's how we build these like memories and get this yeah. nostalgia for things. And now uh, we can't even go anywhere. So. Okay. You know, we're already talking about Phantom Menace. You don't have to bring it down any further. Uh, we but all yeah. know. Uh, not, not, uh, but to, to, I think the length is there. Cause like, th- there's just not a lot that happens, right? Like this movie has like very few actual beats that occur. There was a point, that like, because I I remember what happens in the film plot wise, right? I was like, this happens, this happens, this happens. But then they get they they get like the beginning happens and they land on Tatooine, and I'm just like, what? There's still like an hour and forty five minutes. Like, what the hell? What the hell? What is the rest yeah. of this movie? Because there's not a lot that happens, so you're just there, like, what? oh my god, it's still going. They're still happening, and there's again the slow walking, the slow talking, the slow pace makes it the feel slowest, slow. The slowest grappling clip that uh, you've ever seen. Like when they all just ascend up the building, that it's like it's so kills me. slow. Kills it's me. Super slow. Everything is slow. Yeah. In this. Except, except again, like let's let's transition away. Transition, transition, transition. Woo. Except for one part is not slow. One part isn't slow. One part is pretty fast, and it's going to be my take that I know Josh is not looking forward to. Um, this is this is sort of a, a, a is this take two thing. official. This is take two official. Take it's two. it's a bit of encompassing. And it's that uh, Darth Maul sucks, and that ending lightsaber battle is not cool. I hate you. 
I know. I mean, wow. here, this yeah. is me in the lava looking up at you. I hate, I hate you. you. Okay, here's the thing, right? Like, and I know, Josh, you you have rebuttal. That's fine. Um, the Darth Maul, the Darth Maul part of it, right? The Darth Maul part of it. I, I just, it's, it's one, and I don't know, maybe it's me. And I understand he looks cool, but literally that's it. I think the, the amount of like fan fervor and fan excitement, it, it reminded me a lot of the Boba Fett stuff that I talked about in our previous podcast where people really loved Boba Fett after the actual movies. And I'm just like, but why? He's there for like two seconds. Like, yeah, he looks cool. Is that it? And it is kind of it. And I can get that, right? Like, look. It's like, it's like, speaking of Natalie Portman, it's like Jane Foster and Thor. If you want to tell me those two people are just horny for each other, cool, I get it. But when you're just like, oh, they have a deep bonding and love, I'm like, that's crazy talk. Like, you can be like, Darth Maul has an awesome design, he has a dual-bladed lightsaber, that's cool. But if you're just like, Darth Maul's the best, I'm like, that's wild. And like, then you're just like, oh, but the, the, the lightsaber battle at the end, right? And I'm like, as a kid? Yeah, as a kid, I thought it was cool because as a kid, I also am like flashy lights and flippy kicky. But as an adult who's also now like really paying attention, especially as we've talked about in the MCU stuff, like fight scenes and what makes a good final battle, none of that is really present here. None of that is evident in this lightsaber battle. You have a battle that means nothing because there's no emotional stakes and there's no investment. They're fighting against a character we know nothing about who's had two speaking lines the entire movie and who only is just like, well, I'm a threat because I have two lightsabers on my, on my sword. And you're just like, well, okay, that's pretty cool. So there's no emotional investment. We don't know enough about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's relationship that when Qui-Gon dies, we should really care as much as we should. Uh, there's a weird environment. That's the other thing. The environment should play a part, but this is, and uh, they had beats that wanted to happen, so they invented an environment for it. It's like in Galaxy Quest, which I love that movie, where they talk about the smashy things, and it's just like, why is this even here? Like, the same thing with those, like, little red doors to close. Like, why is that here? Like, it's just, it's there for no reason to accept, to accept, invent things to happen in this fight scene. And the last part of it uh, that I want to talk about is that this battle it, the, the fighting is just like flippy kickies that have nothing to do with anything, and then they'll swing their sword. So much is just flourishing that is just visually supposed to be like, okay, things are moving, but nothing's happening. And like I was talking about it after watching this uh, at home, that if I compare this quote unquote great lightsaber battle to the moment that we even before we anticipated. Spoilers for Mandalorian. Spoilers for Mandalorian season two. If you haven't seen season Mandalorian two, season the Mandalorian two. spoilers. Be spoilers, careful. Spoilers, We're spoilers, in trouble. Spoilers. Get out of here. There's danger. Great danger ahead. Great danger. There's and a little more even... danger. I'm still saying a little more danger. Just skip ahead. Roger, skip, Roger. skip, skip. Roger, Roger. All right, you're uh, clear. I'm not even going to talk about the episode five one. I'm not going to talk about the cool lightsaber. Like the, they're, they're both cool, but like that one. When we when they built up a moment where your characters are watching on a screen. And someone in a hood shows up that we think we know who it is, but we don't know for sure. And they're just walking with the lightsaber, catching stuff with the force, swiping at them, not backflipping all over the place. That moment is so much cooler and so much more exciting and so much more dynamic and interesting than what we saw in this movie. That is a cool lightsaber battle. That is a cool moment with with emotional investment that we're caring about. And he's not even, again, doing all that stuff. In the in the the new sequel stuff and in the original trilogy, it's not about the the, the flipping and the kicking. Like the emotional investment in Return of the Jedi and that lightsaber battle is awesome because there's something more to it than just oh look we're flourishing. To quote June Diane Raphael from uh, from How Did This Get Made? Just because something looks difficult doesn't mean it's good, and that is what this is. Oh my god, I hate you so much. Oh. 
Wow. My initial reaction is I hate Kevin and I don't want to be his friend anymore. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tiny, you want you want to take the floor because sure. then I'll I'll do a thing. <laughs> sure, because I don't I don't want to be here for the end of a friendship. <laughs> okay, first we'll of be all, able to repair this one. We'll be okay. First of all, I have a question. If this part of the movie doesn't get you going, what part does? Like, what's your favorite part of this movie, then? Probably the pod racing scene. Okay. I'll, I'll allow it. If also, we're talking about I'm, scenes in specific, it's that. Yeah, I'll allow it. Also, I'm going to The music was good, to, sorry. The music was very good. Duel of the Faith's actual song is awesome, and I think it helped amazing. a lot. The music is amazing. The music, in and of itself, is, is not just really cool, it's iconic. It's yes. like one of the... Uh, the pieces of score from all of the Star Wars everything that people yes. immediately point to and love. And I it's agree fantastic. with that. fantastic. That song the, makes that in things itself, look awesome. That, well, yeah, well, not even makes things look awesome, but that in and of itself lends tension and stakes to a fight that I think is really cool. I think that I don't know exactly where they are or what environment they are in when they are having this fight, nor do I know why... uh, plasma, I believe. Uh, Got it. Nor do I understand why no building in Star Wars has any railings or guards in any place. They really should build those. (laughs) I think people have, like, sturdier bones in uh, (laughs) the Star Wars movies. From all the flips that they do, they have yeah, to their bones, are, their bones are pretty good. Their sure. bones are pretty good. Yeah. Kevin Flippy Kicky Mahadejo. Yes. Like I honestly the battle does mean something because it means something to a character that we are going to come to know and love. And that is Obi-Wan. That was Obi-Wan's master, and we experienced kind of like the pain of it through him. I think that the advice, like the, the, uh, device of slowing the fight down by having those barriers come up out of nowhere and making it impossible for Obi-Wan to like intervene at any time. Qui-Gon sitting there and just kind of quietly trying to like get all of the force power that he possibly can because he realizes he's fighting Ray Park. Ray Park's right. amazing. Yeah. If you, if there's ever going to be, uh, a person who has like a dual sided saber, which is essentially just like a staff to do a fight scene and do flippy kickies. You want it to be Ray Park and hell yeah, he looks cool. It's one of the reasons why I'm always so conflicted about anyone who's on the dark side in star Wars, because they get black and red and those colors are just cool. Yeah. Just look better than all yeah. of like the tinges of blue that we get. He's, gone out of the way to get like Rorschach blots uh, like put on his face. Like he's all that is like tattoos. That's like dedication to the dark side. And then we see him in kind of all of his glory take out the one Jedi that we got to spend any significant time with. And I'm not saying that anyone built a rapport with anyone in this movie because most of the time they were alone shooting in front of a green screen. Right. And, and their that, cardboard cutouts that right. uh, they dubbed in their voices for. <laughs> and that in and of itself, you're right, takes away some of the emotional investment. But the weird environment lends to how cool the fighting is and just how intricate you have to be in those moves. The, you know, the obviously the music, which everyone can agree with. And then the the battle itself. 
I have nothing, I have no problem with a lot of flippy kickies other than the actual pod race scene. And I guess kind of like the scene where everyone is banding together to like, uh, beat someone. Um, it, you know, this is the best scene in the film. Yes, for sure. Not even close. Really not even close. I want to, um, cause I, you know, uh, I, I just want to like co-sign everything what Tanya just said. Uh, like I'm just like fully on board with literally everything what Tanya just said. But I, you know, I've talked a lot about Duel of the Fates all already last week. Um, and, uh, you know, next week we've got feedback show coming up. I, I want to bring something in. It's going to be a long clip. Kevin, this is going to be, uh, Dave Filoni, who mm-hmm. is going to, who, who, uh, did like a round table for, Ever heard um, of him? Yeah, uh, it's it, Dave, Dave Filoni, who is, you know, uh, Sorry, George Lucas. I don't Luke. just worship a person and believe everything they say is correct at all times. I believe that people can be incorrect about things. That's fine. Just, just, you're going just give, it a, give it a second. Give it a second. <laughs> give it a second, Kevin. All right? You had, the, you had your turn. Then Latanya spoke, and I'm giving my time to Dave Filoni. Uh, Dave Filoni gets my time. Uh, it's, it's from, th- and I want to shout out the great Rich Filiberto, the, the wonderful dungeon master himself, Yay. our Philly, um, who brought this to my attention. And he, he had watched this and it was from the Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian from, uh, I believe last season, uh, from season one, that is. Uh, and it's a conversation with Dave Filoni, who was like the, the Obi-Wan to George Lucas's Qui-Gon, right? You know, this is a guy who's, uh, very chiefly responsible for what many people would consider some of the absolute best Star Wars stories. Um, and he has uh, a really... It's a, it's a relatively long... Uh, it's, it's about a six-minute clip that we're going to sit and listen to, and he's going to talk through why Duel of the Fates matters thematically. So this is less about like the kicky flippy stuff. If you don't like the kicky flippy stuff, I don't think that there's much that I can do for you. But I think at least in terms of like how it fits alongside the greater arc of Star Wars, I at the very least think his points about Duel of the Fates very specifically are worth listening to. And this would be the time to do it. So uh, I, I concede my time to Dave Filoni. Let's listen in. prequels I thought were almost an impossible task. How do you tell the story that we've all grown up with imagining who Anakin Skywalker was? You saw so many things in Phantom Menace that you just imagined like the Jedi Council and none of it really was what I had expected. But I know now that that's just like how creative George is. Like he just sees it differently and he's laying it down and I love the lightsaber fight with Darth Maul, not because it's a lightsaber fight, but because George is so good at crafting why that fight's important Mm. every time. Like, you know, the Obi-Wan-Darth Vader fight isn't like the most wonderfully staged necessarily combat that you're ever going to see, but there's so much at stake. It's so meaningful when Obi-Wan dies that we all feel like Luke. In Phantom Menace, you're watching these two Jedi in their prime fight this evil villain. Maul couldn't be more obviously the villain. He's designed to look evil. And he is evil. And he just expresses that from his face all the way out through the type of lights every fights with. What's at stake is really how Anakin's going to turn out. Because Qui-Gon is different than the rest of the Jedi. And you get that in the movie. And Qui-Gon is fighting because he knows he's the father that Anakin needs. 
because Qui-Gon hasn't given up on the fact that Jedi are supposed to actually care and, and love and that that's not a bad thing. The rest of the Jedi are so detached and they've become so political that they've really lost their way. Mm-hmm. And Yoda starts to see that in the second film. But Qui-Gon is ahead of them all. And that's why he's not part of the council. So he's fighting for Anakin. And that's why it's the duel of the fates. It's the fate of this child. And depending on how this fight goes, Anakin is going to, his life is going to be dramatically different. So he, Qui-Gon loses, of course. No! So the father figure because he knew what it meant to take this kid away from his mother when he had an attachment and he's left with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan trains Anakin at first out of a promise he makes to Qui-Gon not because he cares about him. When they get Anakin, when they find him on Tatooine, he says, why do I feel like we've found another useless life form? He's comparing Anakin to Jar Jar. Excuse me. And he's saying, this is a waste of our time. Why are we doing this? Why do you see importance in these creatures like Jar Jar Binks in this 10-year-old boy this is useless so he's a brother to Anakin eventually but he's not a father figure mm. that's that's a failing for Anakin he doesn't have the, the family that he needs he loses his mother in the next film he fails on this promise that he made mother I will come back and save you so he's left completely vulnerable and Star Wars ultimately is about family. So that moment in that m- movie, which a lot of people I think diminish into just all oh, just a cool lightsaber fight, but it's it's everything that the entire three films of the prequels hangs on is that one particular fight. And Maul serves his purpose and at that point died before George made bring him back. But he died. And that's showing you again how the Emperor is completely self-serving. He doesn't care. He's just a tool and he's using people. And now he's going to use this child. That follows all the way through to the line which terrified me as a kid when the Emperor tells Luke, you like your father are now mine. And the idea when I was a little kid watching that movie of some evil person possessing my father making him do things or making him be evil was was terrifying that was like a, a thought that was horrible also it's amazing when you watch return of the jedi that luke has never done anything that i would call it like he's a bad character he has like a tendency to be dark and a lot of people wanted anakin oh he should have been darker as a character it's not true at all i i believed luke would turn to the dark side in return of the jedi i believe that was on the table i believe that he would kill the emperor and because of the way George arranges the story, I knew that was the wrong thing to do. When he's saying, you know, you want your weapon, you know, strike me down, I am defenseless. He wants him to give into his anger. He wants him to give in his hate. And, and the fear, the structure that George has laid out in all the movies is coming to fruition now. And the only thing that's going to save him is not his connection to the Force. It's not the powers he's learned. It's not all these things that are an advantage to him. That's gotten him to the table. But what saves Luke is his ability to look at all that and look at his father and say, no, I'm going to throw away this weapon. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let that go and be selfless. And and he says, you know, I am a Jedi like my father before me. But what he's really saying and why we connect, I connect so powerfully to it is like he's saying, I love my father. And there's nothing you can do that's going to change that. And the, the Emperor can't understand that connection. Why wouldn't you take this? I'm offering you power of the galaxy. Why wouldn't you take this? And Anakin then in that moment has to decide to be the father that he's never had. He has to give up all the power of the galaxy and save his son. And, and that's the selfless act that he doesn't return for his son. And that's what saves him in turn. So the, the son said, the father, father said the son. And it works out perfectly. And I draw that line all the way from Phantom Menace to Jedi. That's the story of Star Wars. Everything so when he pops else, the helmet, you're saying when he pops the helmet off in that moment was part of the... 
yeah, it's, faded arc. It's all part of the faded arc. It's all part of like why it works and why we care. It's not about X wings. It's not about all these the things we decorate Star Wars in. It's important. It's part of the genius of it. But we soulfully react like we don't just want an action movie. We want to feel uplifted. And and Star Wars is an adventure that makes you feel good. You know. It makes makes me feel like wow, I I want to be a part of that. So that's what that's what I always go back to with Star Wars is this selfless act and this family dynamic, which is so important to George, so important to the foundation of Star Wars. That's in us, and what I like about it is it's, it is really saying there is a lot of hope out there that we fundamentally want to be good people, that we can all be driven to do terrible things, but that we can persevere uh, through selfless action. So George has this hopeful story, and it's something that he's reiterated most times I've seen him, uh, you know, after we've been making things uh, without him, is remember to make these stories hopeful. Mm. Remember to give that to kids because they really need it. And so that's, that's just something to keep in mind. Did I bring us down? I think we're done. Totally for me. All right. So that is Dave Filoni's tracking Duel of the Fates to Luke versus Vader in Return of the Jedi. So that is some uh, great, awesome fan fiction he created in his head that he was able to then make into reality as a person who can then create the world of Star Wars. Because none of what he's talking about is presented or actually shown. In the movie, uh, he talks about George loving the symmetry and George himself has been like symmetry because this scene looks like this scene. And that's George's idea of symmetry half the time. He has a surface level view of it. His idea of symmetry is that when and I was going to say this before we even saw it. So I'm glad it was in here. Uh, His idea of symmetry is that when Obi-Wan gets killed, Luke, you do a close up shot and you have him go, no, then you do the exact same goddamn shot for Obi-Wan Kenobi. The idea of Qui-Gon as a father figure is sort of insane. They barely interact with each other enough in that movie qui-gon's drive to train anakin is because he thinks he's gonna fulfill the prophecy he even says that like several times that when the jedi he goes to the jedi council he's like i'm gonna go against them i i think they're wrong in a way they were right they were absolutely right that they shouldn't train him he's too old the the, the his mm-hmm. anger inside him and his fear is gonna drive him toward bad things none of the stuff the stuff that we have with luke the conversation he has with the emperor Notice in the first three uh, original, there's beats of dialogue. There's moments of things happening. All that was then leading up to that battle where the characters are conversing or there's emotional stakes through their facial expressions or things that are happening. None of that happens here. The idea that that battle was somehow for the fate of Anakin is absolutely after the fact. He's like, okay, I think this is what it is. And he got to make it and make it so. None of the stuff that followed after that tracks to that idea. So, like, I get it. Like, he's created this well, world, who, and also he's not going to crap talk George no. Lucas on uh, on a panel with everyone else. But, like, come on. Who's, who's, come it's on. called Duel of the Fates. I get that we have, you know, three uh, fighters there. We could be talking about their fates. But what if it's not? Like, it's Duel of the Fates. And whose fates are in danger here if Maul wins? Uh, obviously the entire Jedi Order, but also Anakin. But is it? Because the Emperor doesn't know at the time Anakin exists. He didn't send Maul there to get Anakin. That doesn't <laughs> matter, though. It's, it, it, the, to, the for, for Dave Filoni's argument to matter, to, to Dave, for Dave Filoni's argument that this is a battle for Anakin, to make sense... They had Emperor had to have wanted Anakin. He had to know Anakin existed to that point and needed Anakin to be taken by Maul. 
or that something happens where Anakin will end up in his grasp. That is Reason not thing in that this maybe movie. He knows though, right? Because doesn't you know Palpatine does say to to little Jake Lloyd is like we shall be watching your career with great interest uh, towards the end of the movie, and also he's got his fingers in all of these different pots uh, as the person who's then going to be like groomed to take over the whole Senate and therefore become the Galactic Emperor. That you would think that it's not impossible that he has a line on what's once going on he, in the Jedi once Council. Once he encounters him, and this is stuff that you'll that they do in the second one, and. To the further point, too, of like, I get what you're saying, Latanya, where it's like, oh, Obi-Wan cares about this person. Now, again, they haven't shown it at all in this movie, in my opinion, like in a way that actually forms a bond between them or showing Obi-Wan. In fact, he argues with Qui-Gon more than anything else. But we're connected to Obi-Wan also at this point because there's so much that exists around that character that makes us connect to Obi-Wan. At the time, we had like barely any of him and then this movie. So, like, even as a character, we knew Obi-Wan through his connection to the previous films, but not enough in here about who he was as a younger self in order to develop this connection with Qui-Gon and, and as his master. Or even the Master Jedi, like, apprentice situation. We only get a little bit of that through Luke and Yoda, and even then there's not a lot of it. So, I, I understand, like, I understand the points, but the idea that this was a bigger thing about Anakin, to me, that's not evidential here. The idea that Qui-Gon... I mean, maybe to an extent, Qui-Gon is, is fighting to beat the Sith because that way he can he can then train Anakin, sure. And he's just like, hey, you got to train this boy. Like, that's what I'm really caring about. <laughs> okay, we get that when he tells Obi-Wan. But in terms of, like, a battle for Anakin's soul through Palpatine, nah. Like, because even then, like, what was Qui-Gon going to, like, they don't know. What is Qui-Gon going to do afterwards? Even if they had gotten there, even if he had to train them, even events would have proceeded to an extent the way they were proceeding because Palpatine had that plan. What was Qui-Gon going to do differently? Like, there's just so much in there that, like, I understand the, 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 the like, I, this would be cool if, and he was able then to shape a lot of that stuff through Clone Wars, through relationship building, through retroactive storytelling, because he then has the power to do that. Cool. We see it in comics all the time. We see retroactive continuity happen in comics nonstop. When you're a fan who grew up and you saw things one way and you get to write it, you get to change it, and you get to make your own world. And that's what happened there. But in the world and the evidence were presented, none of that stuff is in this movie. Yeah, but the kicky flippy stuff will tell you is super cool, huh? Kicky flippy. You know? Kickity flippity. Yeah. That that was that was fantastic. That was truly a rant for the ages. I'm sorry, I, everyone. <laughs> no, don't apologize. Again, that is what we are here for. Feel how you feel, feel how you feel. I want you to just be authentic. I want you to I want you to tell me how you feel. And I'm sure that there are people yas queening you pretty hard right now. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of me. people look. Yeah, and look again. The, the 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 lightsaber battle for what it is. I I think there's a lot of visual stunning stuff that happens, and I think the visual the visual parts are kind of cool, sure. But for me, in terms of an action scene, and in terms of like again, the what could have been uh, like tighter choreography without the flips and kicks, I think I would have been way more way more into that, and I think it would have made for a little more dynamic story. Um, even again, insert some dialogue beats. I'm not I'm not saying you need that. That's not necessary, but it could have helped. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we spent a lot of time on Duel of the Fates. We've established, Latanya, that Kevin is wrong. Uh, I think we can uh, move on to your third and final take. Okay. My third and final take, which is going <laughs> to... Kevin, I love you. I love you very much. Everyone loves Kevin. Yeah, I think that's I love Kevin. not true at yeah. all. Cool, I, I love you. I love you very much. You it's love so, and hate it, me. You say this all the time. And I this know, is the but, evidence. This is the evidence of it right here. I know. <laughs> I, lo- I but I, your your passion is like my favorite thing on the planet. So I I love you in this moment, even if I don't agree. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Great. 
just all around great. Yes, yes. Uh, so this is going to be a little antithetical to <laughs> some of the things I just said. Uh, but, <laughs> it's my you know, favorite kind of podcasting, it's LT. Debate. <laughs> We're having a debate. Yeah. I don't have to say things I believe in, nor yes. do I have to say things that um, are true. So, yes. <laughs> 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 the power of debate. The yes. power of debate. Yes. So my third take is that Qui-Gon Jinn is the true Phantom Menace. <laughs> okay. So uh, before you continue, I need to shout out Tessa, uh, a.k.a. Tesseract, in the Post Show Recaps patron Discord, who, uh, like, I've been monitoring the Discord as we're podcasting. I've always got an eye on you all, just in case something <laughs> breaks. It uh, is a panopticon. There's a lot going on, you know? And uh, Tessa saw that I was in a room, and Tessa said, I know you're recording Phantom Menace right now, and I know it's too late, but I just have to let you know that my big take is Qui-Gon Jinn's an asshole. <laughs> uh, and you know what, Tessa? You weren't too late, in fact. You too late. Much like a hobbit, you arrived just in time. <laughs> I, I think I that's a wizard, not. not a hobbit. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, sure they both arrived, uh, you know, promptly. Oh, it is a wizard that does it. I just watch these movies. I should know that. Yeah. If anything, a oh, hobbit yeah, yeah. is late because he's always just kind of like going at his own pace, eating a lot of breakfasts. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So many breakfasts, at least three. Eleven. Yeah. Um, I did not see that in the Discord. I wrote this down yesterday. Yes. Um, no, this, ha- this happened 20 minutes ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love it, though. Thank you, Tess. So yes. I've got one person who agrees with me here. Let me kind of lay out the case. Okay. So, I think Rob agreed with you too. Uh, in the recap, Rob was uh, Rob was really not thrilled with Qui Gon Jinn. What is there to be thrilled about? <laughs> I mean, I guess he's got great hair. Is that enough? It's and it's Liam Neeson's, I guess. Well, um, great I, hair you, and his Tatooine sweater game is pretty good. Sure. Yeah. Uh, to your point, Kevin. All I'll say is. Um, Google Liam Neeson and Black Bastard. That's all I'll say. Oh, no. Yeah. Any, any one of you who wants to do that, go ahead. I don't, I'm not going to get into it because it's immediately apparent. Yeah. But anyway, he, he does nothing. Like, he is a Jedi Knight. And he goes, he ends up on Tatooine, which is a planet of slaves and slavery. And he, he's like, oh, these slaves. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Let me do nothing to help them. Let me just kind of participate in the culture and, you know, creep on Shmi, which is the second point, which is just like, stop being a creeper to Shmi and asking where the father is, right? It was probably pretty weird and traumatic that Shmi was suddenly pregnant and had a, like basically gave a, vir- a virgin birth, right? Uh, like Christian Monomyth. Uh, alert here, but like I'm sure that Shmi doesn't want to talk about it with some guy that, as Rob said, her kid just brought home one day. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. Also, <laughs> he steals the blood of a child. Like, yeah. What are you doing stealing the? Even if you want to test it for count, <laughs> stop! Don't steal the blood of a child. Yeah. He does the whole. He's very unorthodox, Qui Gon Jinn. He could have done way more during that negotiation with Watto, right? To make sure that both Shmi and Anakin could get away. 
Um, but he just wanted Anakin and used the force to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he chooses the child who becomes Darth Vader as the chosen. He does that. And the entire time he's just being dismissive and annoy and like annoying toward, um, um, toward, toward Padme. Like, you know, go clean the droid, which she's happy to do, which is great. But like her saying you assume too much and just like rolling her eyes all the time is exactly what I was doing for this character. I was just like, what? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Where is Ewan McGregor? Why did you just leave him on that ship for however long you're going to be here while you creep on this this child's mom and go and watch a race that you encourage an eight-year-old to be in, even though he's an eight-year-old and people die in these races? Yeah. And you chose Darth Vader. Yeah, you picked Vader. You picked him. Uh, and I did, I did the, this time really like the, the Qui-Gon Shmi stuff really bothered me. Where yeah. he was kind of just like, oh, really? That's really interesting. I did, that's- I did not notice that. And that makes me laugh so much when you said that. It's like, yo, where the dad at? Like, it's just like, oh, I didn't like, so, that. Uh, is amazing. there a Mr. Shmi? And yeah. she's like, no, you know, there isn't. And like, Rob and I were joking that maybe she was like, yeah, it was immaculate conception. Like, leave me alone. Like, it's a lie. You know, it's like, I don't want to talk to you about this. This isn't your yeah, business, you it's weirdo. It's not your business. I met you earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, by the way, sorry, on a complete note about the immaculate conception. And we'll talk more about that in another one, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Because, God, that's stupid. Uh, I've got also, a whole thing ready for it. But also, um, you know what? There's other religions and philosophies besides Western philosophy that everyone has to be Jesus. Like, literally do something else. God, man. Just the amount of things where it's just like, how do we make this character interesting? I don't know. Make him a Jesus allegory? Okay. Well, like, make, like make literally, that's all, there's other philosophies out there. There's other characters out there. There's other things you can delve into and explore and other religions. Just open a book and take a look. Like, just stop with the Immaculate Conception Jesus stories. That's what the Force is for. They're using the other religions to talk about the Force. And, yeah. you know, they, they cover uh, other languages. They've got, you know, Sanskrit going on in Duel of the Fates <laughs> that they then, like, change the words to. They're fine, Kevin. They've got yeah. enough representation. Totally, they, totally. They can just have this Jesus uh, child who yeah. can do everything. Because he's Jesus. But you are... You are right, though. Like, Qui-Gon is bad in this movie. All his decisions are not good decisions. And he argues with the Jedi Council, which also the Jedi Council, oof, when he talked about, like, uh, George, George, <laughs> that line just now, by the way, Josh, that you played where Dave was just kind of like, George definitely saw the Jedi Council differently than, like, how I would have seen it. Yeah, and how most of us have seen it. He saw it in a boring, dumb, awful way. And then, like, was one of the worst things that happened to the Jedi were these prequels. But, like, Qui-Gon especially is just, oh, my gosh. Like, none of his decisions are good. He seems to never, again, emote or care or do anything. And at the end of the day, he asks his his apprentice to be like, hey, you know that thing that the rest of the council didn't want me to do? Do that for me. That's my dying wish. I want you to go against the Jedi Council and just do what I want. Yeah. Okay? I, I guess my favorite so. thing about Qui-Gon Jinn is he's like, all right. Duel with the fates time. This is a very, this is a very important fight. Yeah, uh, I can, I can tell that everything is really on the line right now. And I, uh, there's just this weird little red door that's separating me from. I got, I got to just sit down for a Let second. Let me sit down. I, I got to sit you know? down for a second, and I just got to take a breath, and I got to take a minute, and like I'm gonna, I'm just like gonna charge up, I'm gonna power up, 
And if I, I know that a lot of people may look at this moment and be like, dude, why are you napping? It's a fight. Uh, but I tell you, if I go out on the other side of that door and I kick Darth Maul's ass, I'm going to look like a badass. I'm going to look so cool. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to look so I'm going to look so cool. <laughs> and then it doesn't work. I also and then he just took a nap before he got caught. Yeah, he yeah. just every dancer knows. Don't sit down. All of your energy goes to the floor. He's Momentum, up, you know. You gotta like you know. Keep, Darth Maul is pacing back and forth. He's uh, keeping that heart rate up. He, he's gotta know? be. Going I worked to, out long enough to know you want to keep that heart rate up. Yeah, he should be parkouring <laughs> off the walls to keep his flippy and kickies going. Yeah. Or else he's not gonna be able to flip and kick. If he was able Jack to flip gets. and kick, he would have. He wouldn't have got stabbed like that. Yeah. Uh, another uh, fun George Lucas symmetry, by the way, that I that I caught. Is uh Obi Wan does his like little jump over Darth Maul and kills him, which is exactly what happens with Anakin. Except Darth Maul clearly not good at this. We uh, talked about that fairly extensively on the recap. Funny. Where, where we talked we, we talked about how uh, how Obi Wan must have like never forgotten that day, and yeah. Obi Wan must yeah. have been like Darth Maul was such an idiot. He had yeah. the high ground. He should have just like thrown his lightsaber down and just like done some like force yeah. in the air type thing what? and just like heat seeking missiled me with the lightsaber. I, will I, was, say this. I was hanging on literally by my fingernails and I just had to like alley-oop myself back up this idiot. And yeah. so when he gets to that moment with Anakin in Revenge of the Sith and he's got the high ground, it's literally like I've been here before, man, and I know what to do this time. You don't stand a chance. Don't fight me. Uh... I actually like that. Not I to mention the fact that there was yeah. like a billion things that could have been done. I, that whole like I have the high ground argument is crazy when you have force powers, but whatever. Uh, what I do like, and I don't think this is purposeful. Maybe it is. Who knows? Maybe it's the most subtle, purposeful thing that I do enjoy is that everyone learns from this moment because later on, later on in, in the original trilogy, there's a point where Darth Vader's on the ground and Luke is standing on a catwalk and Vader has the, uh, the low ground and he just goes, nope, and he throws his lightsaber at Luke to <laughs> like knock him off of it and i'm like yeah. we all learned from this everyone learned yeah. you know this is uh these are moments that except uh, Gon, he learned nothing he died no yeah. well he died well he learned how to force ghost a, uh we never do we see him ever again we know but voice. you hear him and you find out that force ghosts happen because qui-gon pioneered to this uh sort of yeah well yeah. he's he's a dead now and so i he's feel deceased. better uh progressing through these movies even though i know that <laughs> There's going to be a slog, but at least I don't have to see Liam Neeson. He's gone. He's anymore. gone. There, he's dead. He's deceased. He Qui-Gon Jinn. R.I.P. Qui-Gon is gone. He gone. Um, Qui-Gon. All right. Final take from Kevin. Final take of the podcast. He's he's ready to go. He's taking Damn. a breath. <laughs> he's like he's smiling because either he, he knows he's either got he's got gold. Look, after after Duel, Duel of the Face, which may be the hottest take, this one is probably pretty hot, and I'm not coming at it to be purposefully hot, but here it is. <laughs> All right, hold on. Do we want to... Should we draw out the suspense any further? No, it's fine. You just want to do it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, You're sure? Yes. Jake Lloyd... 100% positive? Okay, ...is Jake the Lloyd. best actor in this film because he's the <laughs> only one doing it. He's the only person in this movie actually acting. And I, you can say that I'm being crazy, and everyone's like, oh, he overacts. Well, he's eight, for one. And two, he's overacting a little bit. The only reason it's so more noticeable is because no one else is acting. So, of course, yeah. he seems over the top. But even from when he shows up, this kid, this, is, this is good. It's hyperbolic, but inaccurate. It's, but this is good. This I is don't good. know if it's inaccurate. Maybe hyperbolic. It but yeah. 
For one, he emotes. He's the only person in this movie that actually has facial expressions, that has emotion to scenes, that shows anything happening to him. He also does things with his hands when he first shows up and he's actually cleaning something while talking to Amidala while everyone literally just stands there and does nothing like all humans do. We just don't use our arms. We do nothing like he's actually has like little flourishes like that, which I think works because that's what actors do. Um, and like, here's the thing. No one, no one can read the line yippee and pull it off. Zero people. People, people point to that to be like, oh, that's so stupid. No one can say it. Should no we do a yippee challenge? No, because yeah. we all no. lose if we do that, Josh. Nobody yeah, wins in a yippee challenge. Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, here's the thing. Here's the ultimate thing. He's eight years old, right? This is, he's, he, he's an okay actor. He's not that bad. What would have helped him what would have been good is if he had a director who directed him it's not his fault he's a young actor child even Haley joe osmond had a director behind him and he was also 10 two years can make a difference people and that's the thing so what happened in this movie is wild the fact that people afterwards went after jake lloyd as if he was somehow the problem here is insane what happened to him and kevin and directed the movie yeah it's, Jake Lloyd is actually just uh, George Lucas is time traveling Jake Lloyd yeah and he hated himself and he wanted his own misery so like for real though like what happened to Jake Lloyd after this and to Ahmed Best is absurd and to me yeah. like that should have been a clue about a lot of this fandom and the danger of this fandom the fact that they bullied this kid like crazy the, the fact fandom that, like, menace like what they did to him is insane I like, gotta laugh at all the time you may not have heard it but I saw it No, you're shaking but, your head at me <laughs> I'm mid-break. No. Okay. I mean, the fandom menace is what they're called. That is that is yeah. an accurate uh, uh, call of what th- this group of the of the fandom is. They're called the fandom menace. Is that um, real? That is, is real, that real, Josh. It is real. Oh. They're called the fandom menace because they won. Star Wars. But also, like, it, to me, that also, like, downplays them, right? Because, like, what they, this isn't, like a, like, a fun little thing for these, these people. They, they are not... Like just jokey, mean fans. They bullied this kid. They almost drove Ahmed Pest to commit suicide. Like yeah. this is awful, and especially for a kid who was eight years old to like go through this because they blamed him for some of this stuff, which is wild. And especially watching this, he's not that bad. That's the part. That's the part that makes me like mind blown. Is like so many people criticize him and watching him and being like. He actually could have been a good actor if he had a little bit of help. If people directed him a little bit more, he had the trappings to be a good actor. He was the only person in this movie who was trying, it felt like, to actually show emotions, to actually do something. And that's what happened to him over it. It's crazy and it's insane. So the idea, like, is he professionally the best actor amongst his crew? No, there's a lot of really good actors in here. It's just that none of them actually acted at all. All right. All right. Okay. So now I have to make some, I have to, I have to defend a few people. Uh, so, so Ray Park is acting the shit out of Darth Maul physically. He's got like the gnarly teeth growl. He's got like a lot of the physicality. There's a lot of physicality there in that acting. Ray Park is acting the shit out of Darth Maul. Uh, I want to give a shout That's out a to. Crazy talk statement, but okay. I want to, I want to give a shout out to my guy, Hugh Quarshi, who plays Captain Panarka, uh, Panaka, who, uh, is one of my favorite characters since I was a kid. I freaking loved Panaka. And he was one of the only people who knew he's like, I don't want to be in these anymore. And so he never came back. He's like, I did Phantom Menace and I don't want to be a part of this. This isn't working out. He's great. How about Ralph Brown as Rick Ollier, commander of the Naboo Royal Space Fighter Corps? That was like Captain Panaka. 
Captain Panaka was awesome and like a, a ride or die for Padme. Right. He had ride or one die. scene where he actually no, again. One scene where he actually does acting is what I'm trying to say. Like everyone yeah. else, he had one moment, and it was when uh, Padme came out with him, and he's like, "The Royal Highness wishes that you take the Handmaiden." That was the one scene where I actually was like, "Oh, he has an emotion here, and he's gonna look away, and he looks like <sighs> about it." That's Greg Proops. Like everyone else. Greg Proops, Greg Proops is voice acting the shit out of uh, his half of Fode and Bede, the two-headed announcer at the okay. at the podcasting. I, if you gotta go to Fode and Bede, right? No, here's the, here's the here's like, the real, I feel here's, like Josh here, is grasping at anything to no, like no, here, comedy. Here, 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 yes, I am. Here, here's the real one is Ian McDiarmid. Uh, you don't have to like Palpatine because they did all the stuff with Palpatine in the future movies and stuff, and Palpatine oversaturation and everything. But this this is a character that actually has an arc in the movie. He's an actor who has a secret. Yeah, we all know it because we've seen the other things, and we know that he's the Emperor. That dude's the Emperor. This guy who seems like benevolent uh, senator is actually the guy in all the holograms and stuff. But he is playing one character who is acting within the movie. And I think he does a great job. I think Ian McDiarmid across the franchise, even when the character is shitty, I think the way that he plays the character is excellent and uh, uh, defining for a lot of uh, different actors and characters sort of like in this archetype. You know, this is like very foundational for like a Benjamin Linus type of character uh, of somebody who like presents one way and then secretly is something else. And he's the Phantom Menace. And yeah. uh, th- that that stuff, re- that stuff really does work for me is is his performance and like the way that like he walks into Padme's room is like, oh my god, that that really worked. And can you believe it? They're gonna, they want me to be the, this is unbelievable. And like he actually is like, I think like leaning into it as an actor hamming up that stuff and you can knowing who he is for real underneath all of that i at least i like i vibe that stuff out and i hate him so hard and i think it's very effective because of both like the backstory of the character the front story of like where we're moving towards but a lot of it is performance based so i think that dude acts i think that guy acts really well i think he does sorry i was just gonna say Valid points on both sides. I was wondering if we could talk about a different uh, thing related to Jake Boyd. But go ahead first, Kevin. No, I was just going to say, like, I think he does a fine job. I mean, it's difficult to separate it in the sense of, like, we know he's Palpatine. So, like, for for us watching and part of me is just like, like it's like with, um, what's his name? Obadiah Stane in Iron Man. You're like, how do you, none of you know that's a bad guy? Just look at him. Listen to him. Like, he just has a manner where he plays it off okay, but I don't think he plays it off as, like, as charmingly as well as Ben Linus, honestly, because I think Ben Linus does a really good job when he first shows up to have this, like, like kind of panicky, unknown quality to him. His personality and how he acts is different enough, and I don't see as much of a range of difference between it's me, Palpatine, to it's me, Palpatine. Like, there's there's not enough. It's Jeez. not like you're Kevin Conroy and Bruce Wayne to Batman, which is a noticeable difference. It's not like you're doing Christopher Reeve. Like, that could be something where I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's a huge difference. That's the, they fooled a lot of people. Um, but well, everyone in this movie is full of bad decisions. He down so. in this movie, right? He has the tone. I, I think there are, there are layers to the performance, please. He's supposed to have to tone it down because we're not, the audience is not supposed to know how evil he is yet. And he has to like figure out how he's going to like take over the Senate and, and like, you know, sh- be a politician, politician and like schmooze with people. 
And so we get like little glimpses of like a half smile when things start to go his way and all of that. But like, I, I agree that, that Jake Lloyd as Anakin, um, is fantastic in the movie and like one of the best parts, if not the best part. The, there's a couple things though that are off. Um, from what I've read and seen, the character of Anakin in this movie was uh, supposed to be 12 originally. And then they decided to de-age him to like make him eight instead. That so would have been so much would, better. Yeah. So that it would be more of a hardship when he had to leave Shmi. Like they thought that uh, a 12 year old wouldn't feel anything about having to leave their mother <laughs> a slave on another planet and go off with a bunch of people that he just met days before. But that's fine. What's not fine, though, is the the way that I kind of think of Padme and Anakin's relationship in this movie is as like a babysitter and a kid. Like anyone who's done babysitting um, knows that like the kids like kind of fall in love with you in like their own little like weird infatuation way. But it's like really just their way of like getting to know you. What makes it weird <laughs> is the end of the movie when everyone is standing there for the ceremony and it it almost like Natalie Portman's demeanor changes a little bit when she sees this eight-year-old that she had, uh, for all intents yep. and purposes, I'm gonna call used to babysit. And it's just like, oh, young Padawan. And then I know that we flash forward and then in the next movie. Uh, we get like older Anakin, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Like Hayden Christensen's going to show Christensen up. Shows yeah, up. he's coming. But he's like, coming. there's still a, a six-year age difference between between these two people. Allegedly, more than that. Uh, isn't Padme <laughs> supposed to be like fourteen and and uh, Anakin's eight? I thought she was eighteen and he was eight. I thought there was a decade. Ugh. I don't yeah. know off the top of my head, but you know, it's weird. Head, that's what I thought. Yeah, I don't yeah, think, I don't think so there's going to be any disagreement on the yeah. panel that this is weird. <laughs> that would have been weird. so much better because 12 would have been closer in age for them as well. Like, I didn't know about yeah. the 12 thing. And it's, <laughs> again, whoa, who must have made that decision? But George Lucas yeah, made that decision. That's, you know, that's uh, oof. No but, one said no. No one said no. Yeah. yeah. No one, you can't say that's the you thing. Say no. You put people in charge that you can't say no to. And yeah. and then you get the Phantom Planet. Yeah. yeah. And you know, yeah. Josh, look, I'm I'm being I'm being obviously hyperbolic and, and just purposely uh Kevin y when I'm like, uh he's he's better than Palpatine. Like, no, Palpatine's great. Come on. Um yeah. for everything that comes from it, you know, like it, it it's just one of those situations where it's wild that this kid had so much stuff thrown at him where he really doesn't do that bad of a job. He's like I do think he, he is a little bit extra, but he's also again he's eight and he's reading lines that are very bad. And doing the best he can with them. Uh, and at least, again, at least he's trying to do acting. At least he's emoting. There's something you can get from this character and you can feel from him as he's going through these motions, going through the story, that you get nothing from Obi-Wan except your past connection to him and nothing from Qui-Gon. You barely get stuff from uh, Padme because of how you know she, she acts throughout the movie. And it would have been interesting if there was more of a contrast for her that Nellie Portman could have played with. Where when she's the queen and speaking one way, and then when she's the handmaiden and acting and speaking another, but there's not that much of a difference because again, it's the director's job to help direct that and help bring that to life, or the screenwriter to maybe give a little more information. Problem is when they're one and the same, they're not saying nothing because they're just having the same thing. 
Uh, and that's, yeah, that's, that's where it ends up in this movie. And, and just eight and 18, eight and anything. The look she gives him, Latani is absolutely right. Where she's just like, I'm going to bang that kid. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? It's wild. And then the thing that you have to think of is the director told her how to look at this kid. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one directing note he gave in the entire movie. (laughs) All right. Now I've got one note for you, which is this little kid's kind of hot, huh? Oh, no. (laughs) George? (laughs) Settle down, Jorge. Get it together. So, yeah, I I fully stand this little child, uh, Jake Lloyd, in this movie. I, I... it makes me very sad that Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best ended up being the, you know, and then later, uh, you know, uh, Hayden Christensen. Um, yeah. But he was like better, much better able to handle it, apparently, than well, he was. Jake or he Ahmed was a lot Best. older, right? Like Jake yeah. Lloyd was like eight and he went to high school. And what a terrible place high school is. Imagine it for this kid. And, you know, uh, we didn't mention it here, but I was, I talked about it a little bit before we started recording that, like, Jake Lloyd now is. Like, it's unfortunate what's what's going on because he's diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. He's living with his family because he can't take care of himself. And it's awful. And the worst part is he's diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic and he actually had people that were after him. And it's awful. It's awful to have that and grow up with something like that. And you have these these fans, quote unquote, who reacted this way, who can't separate fiction from reality. He's an actor playing a role. He's not the actual person. It's people like it's the people who are spinning on on Joffrey, the kid who's playing Joffrey on the street, and you're just like, what are you doing? Like the inability to separate the fact that this is a person playing a role, and that also like it's not his fault that the role ended up this particular way is insane. Like it's it's so sad, it's so unfortunate that like this is what happened to this poor guy. And the fans are still here acting the same way. These same fans are doing the same yeah. thing to other people in modern day. And it's unfortunate and it's sad. And there should have been a sign when it happened of where we were headed. But we didn't read. We didn't know the prophecy that, about who was going to bring the dark side of the force. Probably should have paid attention to that one. But here we are. Oh, my God. Here we are. Um, Some really spicy Star Wars discourse <laughs> here. And dual debates. I'm thrilled about it. I wish I could lighten the mood by throwing on a Jar Jar voice, but that's not going to lighten the mood. That's just going to no, make it worse. No, no don't no. do it. No. Don't do that. Uh, here, I'll lighten the mood. It's pretty good. Some of my best moves, if I'm going to be honest with you. That's Duel of Debates. Where was that? Where was that? Should have been more fun. Like, like the it's weird that the fun stuff is like the wacky, like. Sh- like shenanigans type thing like the George, George got shenanigans, old he right? got old he got old and he's like you know what's fun is computers you know what the kids are gonna love I'll tell you what the kids are gonna love the kids are gonna and love this cartoon character he's gonna step and do at one point he's literally gonna step and do it's gonna com- be great they- they love a computer. Uh, Who did George he, Lucas just become? Was that something even J. Joe Jameson? I don't know what voice we it, just did. It here, was here, a little bit. Yeah. Here's, here's what's up. So a lot of really salient points brought up here on this podcast about Star Wars, The Phantom Menace for my sins. I will always love this movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't help it. 
It's an important movie to me. It was I've seen this in theaters more than I've seen anything. Uh, it is like deeply embedded in me. I can't help it. Uh, I can't. I cannot help it. It's a bad movie. It's not good. You can love a bad movie. I love a lot of bad. Absolutely, it's a bad, think, it's, yeah. it's a bad movie that I love a lot. I love that's this the movie. thing, man. Like, like as I've said before, you're like to you're, you're allowed to love bad movies. I love a lot of bad movies. We literally just talked one. about this Twilight bit, earlier. This and, is a bad one, though. It is. It definitely it, is. It definitely yeah. isn't good. When you acknowledge it, you're just like, look, it has a special uh, place in my heart. There's a lot of nostalgia I saw when I was but, a kid. I have a lot of great memories from this movie, and I have great memories from Clone Wars when we talk about that. But those, that's also a pretty terrible You movie. keep conflating Clone Wars and Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones, it's, sorry. It's a dangerous thing to conflate, bad. you know, yeah. because Clone Wars people love, and then Attack yes. of the Clones. And this is going to be an interesting thing, because the next time the three of us are going to be around the table talking Star Wars, we'll be talking Attack of the Clones. And that was the movie where, like immediately when I saw it in theaters, I was like, uh-uh, no. Uh, so like, I felt that right away. Uh, and I haven't gone back and revisited this in a few years. I'm really interested to check it out again. Well, Tanya, I'm really curious to get your takes on, on, on clones, on attack, uh, yeah. you know, watching I mean, it first. Cause you haven't seen this one yet, I've right? I've never seen either of the next two movies in this yeah. uh, trilogy, but yeah. I, I will say that this movie uh, and I'm sure Attack of the Clones will as well made me want to get back into my watch of Clone Wars. Yes. Um, I have, I, I got pretty like good with it and got a pretty good clip and then fell off of it because everything came out last weekend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this definitely did renew my, you know, desire to revisit the, or, or to watch Clone Wars for the first time. And I'm sure Attack of the Clones will. <laughs> Will more than do that as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to like talk that one through because I've got very little nostalgia for it. Uh, so I'll be ready to go, uh, yeah. and I'll I'll be curious. I'll be curious how that how that conversation goes. Uh, this is the end of us talking Star Wars in terms of Phantom Menace, uh, the three of us. But it's not the end of our Phantom Menace coverage. Next week, we want to hear from you out there in the listenership in the long time to go land. If you've got feedback, if you've got fun things you want us to talk about, we're also going to have some fun shenanigans for you as well. Brooklyn Zed and DJ Labelle Klein are going to be joining me, the great Troy Steinmetz. We're going to be talking Star Wars. Phantom Menace with a feedback show to close out our Phantom Menace coverage. Uh, get some more takes for some people. Uh, Troy is not a huge super Star Wars fan, but loves Star Wars. Zed has seen certain Star Wars movies and hasn't seen many others and watched Phantom Menace with us in the Discord for the very first time. And their great take uh, ends up being very much along the, the, these same lines of we stand a local boy, Anakin Skywalker. So uh, they're going to have lots of fun talking about Jake Lloyd and his work in this movie. Uh, so we want to hear from you, Star Wars Recaps.com, or if you're in the Discord, tag me, tag Brendan Fitzpatrick. We want to get your feedback. We will get into all of that. Um, Kevin Latanya and I, we're going to get into WandaVision pretty soon, folks. We are, uh, as of this recording, we've got, what, five hours to go before the episode drops, something like that? Y'all staying up? No. Y'all staying up? I don't know if I can. No, 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 no. I'll wake up first thing. I won't check my tweets. I won't check anything. I just Mm -hmm. go straight to my Disney Plus and I watch that WandaVision. So WandaVision's coming out, coming out pretty soon here. Episode three. Uh, Critics got to see this one. They say it's a doozy. So I'm excited. I want to know. I don't know what's going on here with with all the, the, the strange commercials and stuff. So we're going to talk about all of that coming up on Everything is Super, Kevin LaTanya and myself. 
Of course, the three of us also, if you're a member of the Post Show Recaps Patreon, you know we competed in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, competed. We, we worked we, together, Josh. That was an adventure. Until, until, spoilers, a, certain, spoilers. until a certain point uh, when uh, everyone got like uh, got that Frodo fever. Right? Everyone got it's the like, madness. Oh, I got that that one ring. You know, we got into a little bit of that territory, and it was great, great fun. Uh, I'd love to do that again sometime. That could be fun. I, I will play I would love to Dungeons and Dragons with. Because one of the things that our great dungeon master, our affiliate, was saying is that the way that it ended, not to spoil anything, is that it opens up the possibility for us to play lots of games with people in the Discord uh, yes. based on where we ended up as our characters. So I'd Correct. be happy to play D&D um, if people want to do that anytime. Yes. Yes. So that would be really fun. There may be some D&D plans in the hopper. Of course, there's also the Dungeons and Dragons mechanisms to play in the Discord that are already up. If that sounds interesting to you and you want to play some Dungeons and Dragons, but you don't have a lot of friends to play Dungeons and Dragons with in this moment in time, we got friends for you. Sign up. Patreon.com slash recaps. We're playing D&D in the Discord. It's a thing. It's happening. Check it out. Uh, follow Latanya on the Twitter bots or on the Bird app, as she likes to call it. At LK Starks. Uh, Kevin is at Kev Mahadeo. Either of you got anything else you'd like to add? Yippee! (laughs) 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 Yes! All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, We'll see you at the feedback show in a week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Go!